some days telling my brain to be like, hey, you can be intellectual and you can be like doing the whole like organizing thing and you can be studying all this stuff but like also check in with your heart because that's the human part of you and you need to, to make sure that you're doing okay you are listening to made of human also known as the mopad a podcast hosted by sophie hagen who is a danish comedian mopad. trying to find out mopad. how to do life mopad. enjoy this episode i'm so sure this is deshaun harrison it's another uh, skype uh, internet us chat so the sound quality is not as ideal as i would like for it to be but on the plus side it's worth it it's absolutely worth it because deshaun harrison is such an important person such an important figure in the america miracle <laughs> Um, American civil rights movement. I think I tried to say American and civil in the same word. Nope. American civil rights movement. And I first heard about them through Kevin Bay, who did research for my book Happy Fat, and who is this? Who who's on this podcast? You'll remember him. So I've wanted to get Deshaun on for ages. There was uh, once when we had set it all up and then I cancelled and there was once I think where they cancelled and then there was one where I forgot, which was a bad one. So they were ready with the microphone and everything and I had forgotten. I felt so bad. I felt so bad. But now we finally did it and it was worth the wait. You're going to love Deshaun and uh, I'll let you listen to the chat in just a bit. Just quickly again, I want to say... I'm on tour of the UK with my Bubble Wrap Happy Fat Tour, which is part stand-up show, my show about being a boy band fan, a uh, mentally ill teenager, and it's also about pissing on people for fun, for sexual fun. And then the second half of the show is me talking about the book Happy Fat, which I will then also sign after the show. Oh my God, I'm going to be signing my book. Oh my God, can you imagine? Oh. You can get tickets on sophiehagen.com. Some of them are about to sell out, so you might want to hurry. I'm all over the UK, Leeds, Newcastle, Cardiff, Salford, Exeter, London. There's way more dates than that. You can go to my website to find all of that out. Then in August, I will be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with my new show, The Bum Swing. I'll be at the Queen Dome at 7pm, and I'm very, very, very excited about this show. I really think you'll like it. I am so excited about this show. Buy my book, Happy Fat. It's about why it's okay to be fat. It's part memoir, part funny, part... Oh, it's just all about fatness. You're going to want to read it. Uh... Yeah, it's 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 out. It's out. It's oh, it's so exciting. So those are all of my things. I also have another podcast called Secret Dinosaur Cult, which is a comedy podcast about um, just about daddy issues, about dinosaurs, about trauma. And it's by me and Jody Mitchell. So it's um, a queer non-binary hosted podcast. So, yeah, give it a listen. Thank you to everyone who supports on Patreon. It means the world. You know this. But I just quickly want to mention it. I'm also seeing all of the one-off donations and it makes me so happy. Thank you so, so much for that as well. Thank you for all of your support, basically, is what I'm saying. Now, I will let you listen to my chat with... Oh, like, I feel like my heart is, like, soft for Dejon. Like, I just love... I, I love them. I love them. Is it too soon to love them? I don't think it is. I love them. So... I hope you love them too, and um, yeah, I'll just let you listen to it. This is the fabulous Deshaun Harrison. Hello, Deshaun. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy we're finally doing this. I know. It has been 
a long time coming. <laughs> and I'm happy that we're finally able to do it. Our schedules are kind of just all over the place. <laughs> I know, it's a time difference. Right. <laughs> so for people who might not know who you are, do you want to just do a quick introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Deshaun Harrison. Um, I live in the United States. Um, I am a community organizer, a writer, um, as well as a public speaker. So I write on a lot of different things and talk about a lot of different things from um, race to gender to sex and sexuality, um, fatness, disabilities, um, and the intersection at which they all meet. Um, and so I do all those things, but I'm also a Netflix enthusiast um, and I love Hulu. <laughs> um, and I enjoy being surrounded by loved ones. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of different things and am intrigued by a lot of different things. <laughs> Where are you right now in your life? Like right this very moment when we speak, mm -hmm. what's happening? What, where are you at? Work-wise, emotionally, life-wise? Where, where uh, are we meeting you, sort of in your brain space? Okay, so we're meeting me in a really tough um, spot currently. Um, there's been like a lot of things happening with, with me and um, with life in general in the last few months, but specifically in the last couple of days. Um, so, you know, like emotionally, mentally, like kind of all over the place, but also um, still very grounded, which I'm thankful for. Um, and still, of course, very excited like to be able to even in engage in, in this because um, I know like if I, if, <laughs> if I try putting it off, I, because of life issues, I would be putting it off forever. <laughs> um, And I really wanted to get this done with the, just to be able to talk to you. Um, but yeah, so like we're meeting me at like a, at a rough moment in yeah. life. Yeah. Something you want to talk about or is that too? Well, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, you know, for the last month and a half or so, it's been difficult just because, um, Searching, as I know you know, searching for um, for jobs as like um, a fat and disabled and disabled person is difficult because not many places are accommodating for us and um, are not really making room and space for us. Um, and then, of course, doing that on top of you know like not having steady steady housing and um, and not being able to like um, maneuver i guess in in the most efficient ways has also been very difficult so just like all around like a lot of different things that i guess more so witnessing or living in the very structural like um hardships that we know happen for fat black disabled folks and experiencing that firsthand um has been the 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 biggest the biggest thing and the biggest issue for me but also has been the biggest push for me to continue doing the work that we do because i'm i mean i've i've always had a bit like a life that is almost textbook structural oppression <laughs> but um being like these last few months specifically being um, on my own, away from family, away from um, from comfort zones, and experiencing all that on my own has been a whole different ball game. Um, and so, it pushes me because you know we study this work day in and day out. We talk about it day in and day out, but actually being living under it and experiencing it firsthand is a different. Um, it's a totally different thing, I think. And so it is, it's like me finding the glass to be half full rather than half empty. 
do you do you so i think when you when we do the work we do especially when you do the work you do like all the the activism stuff of speaking mm-hmm. about all of this oppression i think a lot of that takes space in our brains right like it's a lot of mm-hmm. thinking and then it's our bodies and our emotions that take the hit do, do you have yeah. some kind of i don't know if it's a plan or a method or like do you make sure that you deal with the emotions and the body as well that is a great question <laughs> um i so i will admit that i suck at that right so like um trying to be responsible enough to like check in with my body and check in with how how i'm feeling internally and how my body's reacting to everything um i'm horrible with that <laughs> and i think i'm getting better with it a little bit where i'm able to like um some days be like oh wow you know like you're not feeling as upbeat as as normal or you're not feeling like um as constructive as normal and like maybe you should check in and with yourself and figure out why that is um because so much of so much of my day to day is me like just thinking and and going over everything in my mind and and working through like well what's this thought process and and how exactly like um could you figure this out and how could you make this work and how can you like transition here and how like you know all that all that stuff so um some days telling my brain to be like hey you know like <laughs> but like you can be in- intellectual and you can be like doing the whole like organizing thing and and you can be studying all this stuff but like also check in with your heart because that's the human part of you and you need to to make sure that you're doing okay especially since also like my biggest disability is a heart condition right so <laughs> so like actually genuinely needing to check in with my heart um So yeah, it um it is something that I'm working on um and just working on I'm learning like I know for so long or for so many of us rather um fat folks like we're oftentimes taught to not really check in with ourselves because you know we're always checking in with other people um and so being able to unlearn that to be like you know like how about take care of you first <laughs> um being able to to learn that for myself has been a long process but it has been a feat nonetheless so what about your what's your background like where did you where are you yes. from what was your Ooh. whole cuz you so me, you're such an important person you're such an important voice oh. and i just i am always so curious to find out you know what what made you i guess able to just you know not be one of those people you know what i mean <laughs> no absolutely um first of all thank you i think you're such an important person so i really appreciate oh, that <laughs> um so i come from a a s- small city um in North Carolina called Wilmington North Carolina um and I grew up there on the north side of that city um which and I grew up in like in like the projects the hood um the ghetto whatever um black folks and and, and scholars or whoever wants to refer to it as um and so I grew up impoverished I grew up in poverty um I came I come from a family of um three boys well my mom had three of us um i of course am not binary i have a twin brother and then my oldest brother um and my stepdad has well at the time that we were growing up then he had um six children so um they were they weren't always there with us but it was always a full house and um and so you know like my mom was a bus driver my stepdad a barber so not like not a lot of money coming in um so 
I grew up in in a place where like where I I guess am witnessing this poverty and like and and like the racism in that and um then like before before my stepdad my mom was in um an abusive marriage to my father um physically and emotionally abusive so witnessing like um the structural like um, responses to that as well because there wasn't a lot of help offered offered to her at the time and um and there was a lot of things that that she went through with trying to like um be away from that so i guess yeah so i so i grew up there and on the north side of that city and then we moved a lot because um when there wasn't like a lot of money coming in then of course like you aren't really able to pay bills so then you have to be where you're staying so i like before i got to college um i'm certain that i lived in at least several different places as a child um so like um from on different parts of the city the north side the south side um the east side um and that was that was normal for me i actually like when i was in high school i was in i was in band because i am a music nerd i'm a geek when it comes to that um and so that was like my so in school i was always like a after after about fifth grade i was always like a fairly popular kid and and so like i like i knew people across like um race and whatnot but of course my like my closest friends were were black and so in high school when i got to when i got in band well i was in band in middle school too but in high school with band like that was my first time like going over to my white friends houses and hearing them talk about how like they've been there their entire lives and how they hadn't like they hadn't moved and they you know they come from families where their parents are doctors and professors and lawyers um it was like a a cultural shock for me because that wasn't something I'd ever experienced. I'd never even like I thought that it was normal for people to move around as often as we did. Um, you know, like I came from homes where, you know, some days we didn't have water or some days like, you know, like we lived in the house with no power, no lights. Um that was just my like my material reality. And so I guess fast forwarding, I guess actually I'm already jumping all over the place, but, um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I grew up in, in places like that. And then by the time I did get to high school, you know, I was, I was always the kid, um, in elementary school, middle school and high school who I just loved to read and I, and I loved, um, my academics. I was very focused on my studies. And so in high school, um, I was in honors and AP courses, um, which were more advanced courses in the, in the school system. And um, that was my ticket. That was my, that was my way out. That was my way of, um, of, of like um, being able to, try to you know um envision and, and and live in a different world because before that my dream was um to become a famous singer um <laughs> i love music so i used to sing all the time in my church and um and was in like um, choir in school and chorus with the band and everything so i was like you know i can play instruments i can sing i can i can be like a I can be the next pop star. <laughs> I, love um, that. I would love that. <laughs> I gave up on that dream eventually, <laughs> but it was my biggest dream for such a long time. And um, 
so my senior year of high school, I applied to 12 schools. I was accepted into 10. I was waitlisted by Harvard, and I was denied by my number one choice, um, which was USC Chapel Hill. They will rule the day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I decided to go with Fox College, which is here in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I've been here ever since. Um, however, so much of because you can't like I think this is this is gonna like better answer your question. Um, I think this is my entry point into organizing because I realized then that you can't run away from structural violence um, because <laughs> it's structural. <laughs> um, and I didn't, you know, like have any of this language before coming to college, but once I got to college and after, um, the non-indictment of Darren Wilson in November 2014. Darren Wilson was the officer who murdered Mike Brown. After he wasn't indicted, um, I realized that like I had to become an organizer and I had to do something about all of this. Um, can you can you talk a bit about that just for the context of people who might not know the case that of uh, the case? Absolutely, yes. Um, so Ferguson, Missouri, here in the in the states. Um, there was a young black boy who had just graduated high school. It was over the summer of um, 2013, no, 20, 2014, that summer um, in August. He was murdered um, by a police officer here. It was reported that he was um, stealing from a store. He had stolen like cigarettes from a store or something like that. Um, they went. The officer wasn't even the one who was called. There was an officer called, but he wasn't the one called. He just saw Mike Brown walking down the street. Um, and in his reports, he claims that Mike Brown was running towards him and was towering over him, and that he was shooting shooting the gun, but that. Mike just was some invincible human being who just was able to run through the bullets and was coming to attack him. Um, so he shot and killed him, and his body lied in the middle of the street for four and a half hours. Um, and that was the birth of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Black Lives Matter, the organization started after Trayvon Martin was murdered by um, um, George Zimmerman in Florida um, in 2012. And that organization was started by three queer women, um, but three black queer women. But the movement really took off after Mike Brown was murdered because I think We'd seen so many senseless, senseless murders, of course, but his murder or his body being allowed to lie in the road for four and a half hours, his family and his community members watching his blood soak up the streets for four and a half hours, um, I think was a different level of gruesome. Um, and the city, the city organizers, they took the streets and they had a week of unrest. Um, and we've been organizing ever since. Um, and so I was here in Atlanta, in Atlanta when that happened. Um, so I remember in August of that year, there was a citywide protest that had thousands of people um, that I went to. And because, you know, like we, the, the pain and the, and the anger was like, it was thick and it was saturating. It was like everywhere. So, so many people showed up for that. And then I think I was, I was excited because it was, it was a moment. And then after that, I kind of fell off again. And then in November, after the non-indictment, I knew that I had to do something. And so I joined 
I helped start an organization and I joined um, what we call on our campus AUC Shut It Down. And so the AUC um, stands for the Atlanta University um, Center, um, and it is the largest um, conglomerate of HBCUs or black schools in the U.S. So it holds Morehouse College, um, Spelman College, Clark, Clark Atlanta University, can't speak today, um, ITC, Morris Brown, um, and Morehouse School of Medicine. And so I joined AEC Shut It Down, and that was in January of 2015. And I've just been going ever since because I, I realized that um, I had to do something. I had to be involved in some way because I saw a lot. The only difference between myself and Mike Brown is that I had a summer to get away and he didn't. Um, I think the only difference between me and I is that, you know, um, I was much more of a loner and didn't um, really stand outside and didn't really like um, stand on the streets. Um, and he did because he had friends and that's where his friends were and I think that that's okay. Um, but I recognize that so much of the violence that, that came through police brutality here in the States is so oftentimes targeted at um, fat, black, fat black men and fat black boys. And even though I identify as non-binary, um, I'm oftentimes perceived or read as a man and that plays a, a huge role in, um, in how police interact with me. Um, and so I started organizing in January 2015 and I have been on the go ever since. <laughs> What's the, I mean, you can, it's very clear why it's, you know, ethically and morally you have to do something, mm-hmm. but emotionally, I feel like there's a tendency amongst most people to not do something right. Like it's yeah. always, if it's, I don't know why, if it's out of fear, if it's out of, you, I well, I don't know. I can't imagine that feeling the need to do something, and I've felt that way yeah. before trying to get teachers fired, right? But mm-hmm. w- what was it for you, the, the emotional bit of you that thought, I have to act? I was exhausted, right? Um, so I remember, I, I can tell you, I remember specifically in December of 2014, um, I had lost my my sister to um, suicide. And just a few weeks after that, um, I was home back in North Carolina. I, school was out. And so I was home for winter break. And on Twitter, I saw a hashtag Antonio Martin. And he was a black boy murdered by police um, in Cleveland, Ohio. And like all the rage and anger and frustration that I felt after Mike Brown and after Darren Wilson wasn't indicted, um, completely overtook me. And like, it took forever for it to actually be reported by CNN. Like they weren't reporting it for so long. Um, and all the information that I was getting was from Twitter. And um, there was a guy who um, was claiming to be the best friend of, of Antonio Martin and that he was there and witnessed it all. And he was making up the story and like it was fabricated. Um, the boy was murdered by police, but the story that, that was originally reported um, was untrue because it was fabricated by a random troll online. And so after like seeing that another black boy had been murdered and that 
media didn't care enough about his life and his body and his existence to even do basic fact checking um, to make sure that what was being reported was true. Um, my body just had a response that just was um, unavoidable. And I think that that is where I entered emotionally. Um, there was just a lot of rage and a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Um, and then, of course, just deep sadness because um, there was so much um, neglect for for our, our human lives and, our, and for our humanity. So, um, yeah, I think that is like, I think that is, that has always been like the emotional driving point for me. And, and of course, like you eventually learn that you can't organize from solely from a place of trauma. So, so you, you find other, other ways and other reasons to be involved in, in, in doing this work because trauma is not a sustainable point of entry. Um, but it absolutely was my point of entry. Um, so yeah, I you. I'm so sorry about your sister. <laughs> the fucking worst. Uh, yeah. You did a just a few seconds ago. You did the the breath. Yes. And I feel like I recognize that breath so much. It's just this. Mm-hmm. You know when you realize, oh god, it's also I've not I've not yes. taken a breath for a while. <laughs> it's kind of the physical way of checking in with yourself, isn't it? Of going. Mm-hmm. What what's the What's the um, other kind of manifestation of that in your life? Like what, how do you, I'm trying to ask this so it doesn't sound really like horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the positivity? But that sounds like I'm throwing away the entire course and and your trauma. That's not what I want to say. I want to say like a, a journalist said to me recently something about, oh, isn't it difficult being such a killjoy all the time? I started talking about how funny, you know, fat activists are, you know, how funny yes. a, a group it is and the community. And I, I think I'm just, I want to know where yours is. Like, where's the fun, where's the fun in your life? Where's the, yeah. where do you get joy from? Because this is all heavy. Oh, sometimes you can feel so, you can feel so helpless, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. Um, and um, so two things. One, yes. I, people comment on that all the time. I'm always actively taking like really large breaths because talking about things that are really heavy <laughs> and I don't even like notice it until someone else points it out. I'm like, oh, I did just do that because I guess it's just my body. Like, okay, we're getting rid of that. And I enjoy that. I enjoy getting like getting rid of all of that, that air that wasn't positive, that energy that wasn't positive and bringing in some some really positive energy and so like my positivity it comes from um the folks who are like my community directly around me like i have a queer family here in atlanta and they are the funniest people um (laughs) um, and they're you know they're my best friends but they're also really genuinely my family um i have found um real joy and real comfort and, and real um, happiness in, in them. So we crack up about every single thing we like in, in our group chat, we, um, well, in a couple of our group chats, we um, are always posting like um, different reaction videos or gifts or memes that we'll find from Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, <laughs> just pack it up at the silliest things just because like, there is so much in the world that is so funny and, and that can really give you a good laugh. Um, as you know, as a comedian. <laughs> um, and so we just, like we find so much to laugh about and I'm thankful for that. Um, and then of course, like um, online community, um, Twitter as big of a hellhole as it can oftentimes be, it is also like, um, a really good source of, of laughter for me. Like I will just <laughs> crack up at something I see on the timeline and like, <laughs> like I will quote it 
and um uh, and just and like i think sometimes people think i'm joking when i talk about how much i'm actually screaming at something or like <laughs> or really yelling about something because it actually is so funny to me um <laughs> and i take those moments and i really like sit with them and i allow myself to, to laugh for however long i need to because things are hilarious and laughing is good for you um so yeah i, I think i get a lot of joy from that and then um when when i pop into our um our fat chat and i sit like look at <laughs> you and the other soap and everyone else just in there like packing dose or whatever it's always a good source of entertainment um and it's really enjoyable for me so um yeah i i think i just i just i'm laughing at i'm always laughing like i, I don't think i i i try not to go a day where i'm not laughing at something because there's so many things in the world that are just hilarious and that you just need to laugh at and get a different source of, of brain power and energy and stuff um i don't even know if that's scientific or not but i'm saying it anyway <laughs> um so yeah do you in your work which is like taking on all of these you know systems and yeah uh institutions that do all of these things um do you see do you see it getting into a good place do you see it does it get is it is it getting better is it getting worse can you even say that it's getting better or worse do you see you mm. working on this forever do you see yourself actually seeing a better future <sighs> what a question if the answer um, is negative i'm so sorry for bringing us back down again <laughs> no 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 you're fine um i i think that the the answer is multifold for me in that um at least when it comes to organizing stuff like i i never i never have a complete negative and i also never have a complete positive right so i think i think this is what i remind myself of is that um in the us specifically where you know fighting against when well, i even just in the us but in the us because that's where i'm organizing at we're fighting against 400 plus years of of a machine that was built and sustained and that has been sustained for for 100 years right um and that my work um is only adding to a long genealogy lineage of black liberation movements um and 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 black folks who have done liberatory work and so when i think of that i feel empowered um i feel like i am I'm, i feel one i feel less alone and two i feel like it feels more impactful to know that like i'm adding on like you know like when you watch those um like really horrible superhero films where like, they're like packing a punch <laughs> like and they're like winding their arms to like get a really big punch it feels like like that like i'm just i'm part of another winding to pack up a bigger punch um and i think that that i think that brings me a lot of um a lot of i find solace in that um and then of course like I'm learning to be better about celebrating the small victories because in doing this work we don't get a lot of a lot of victories. We don't get a lot of victories. But um I think when like when we do get some victories I have to really sit with that and say you know like this is a win and it's a win that we deserve and it's a win that you know can sustain us for the next moment. Um and and I take that and I hold that So I do imagine myself well sometimes I I feel hopeful that I will be able to to live in a different world and then there are other times where I'm like that's not going to happen and I will be doing this work for the rest of my life but I feel comforted in in either reality 
because if I am continuing to do that work, I know that I am just adding to um, work that has been ongoing for such a long time and that will continue after me. I think that is what I I most want. I, I want to have enough impact on somebody somewhere to where they want to continue doing this work once I'm gone. And if, if that's done, and I think that, um, that I, then I feel pretty proud and, and positive about um, where I am and, and where we're going. Being non-binary. Yes. When did you, what's the question? Did you know that you were non-binary before you had the language to describe it? Or did that come around the same time? So good question. Um, I did not know. Um, I, I was so heavily indoctrinated by Christianity that like, I never imagined myself as anything other than a cisgender heterosexual um, Christian man. And then I got to college and I had a professor, <laughs> my second semester, um, or was it my second semester? I my first. Either way, my first year of college, I had a professor by the name of Dr. Daniel Black, who is an author um, as well. He's a brilliant, brilliant writer and he has a brilliant mind. And he, it was my first semester because I was really, really, really still very positively stuck to Christianity. Um, and I remember leaving his classroom every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like this man is delusional. <laughs> but in <laughs> his class, it wasn't a religion class. It was, it was an English course. Um, but he reshaped my entire way of thinking and opened me up to new perspectives and new ideas and new realms. Um, and so with him and then um, one person who is also non-binary, who um, I've been organizing with for four or five years and they are like um, one of my really good friends. Their name is Avery Jackson. They've been non-binary since I met them. Um, and so like witnessing how they maneuvered um, and, and moved throughout the school and, and um, how they spoke about gender and, and the language they gave to gender, the, specifically to their gender. Um, between those two people, I found something that I was like, oh, well, maybe like I, I like haven't really sat with this enough. Maybe, maybe I'm not really a man. Because when, when we start talking about like gender and manhood in particular, I'm like, none of this really, none of this is really me. So I don't really know like where I go from here. But I'm also like, okay, but I also know I'm not a woman. So like, what do I, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know what that is. Um, and they opened me, they opened me up to that. So yeah, I definitely like, um, did not know until I got to college and was able to find language for it. Um, and that's similar to my queerness as well. Like, although like with my queerness, I most certainly knew that um, I was interested in more than just cis women. Um, I didn't know any language besides gay, straight, and maybe bisexual, but bisexuality is so oftentimes um, demonized that even that wasn't really a possibility for me. So, but what I did know was that straightness and, and, and participating in straightness was a lot more safe and was what I was taught was right or normal, right? Um, and so it wasn't until I got to college where I was like, huh, queerness exists and like you can be attracted to all these different types of people and you can, you know, do all these things and whatever. And I was like, okay, so took me 18 years, but I finally arrived at a place where I was able to, uh, to learn about different identities and different things that I have never been exposed to before. So, yeah. In your community and in your activism work, mm -hmm. um, 
because your activist, activism work stretches out further than, um, you know, anti-racism. It's, you do it as well with fatness and you talked about mm-hmm. in the, the sections. Um, what's the question? Is it, is there a frustration in other parts of your activism or your movement or your community where, you know, there's room for some of it, but not all of it. Is there a lot of, do you know what I mean? <sighs> yes, I do. Know you know, sometimes do the, the most inclusive spaces or the, a lot of spaces that pride themselves on being inclusive often mm-hmm. one thing. And you're always like, Oh no, you absolutely a very important thing. <sighs> okay. Listen. Yes. <laughs> um, I have not been into a single space where I, where I haven't felt like at least one part of my identity was being erased or being ignored or being purposely um, um, left out, right? Um, so like, I, I, I organize here in Atlanta and, and there, there is a sector of, of folks here who organize against police brutality who are also like vehemently against um, queer folks, right? And um, they like won't necessarily um, express it that way but they don't have to because homophobes never express the homophobia in that way (laughs) um but they do and so um you know i've organized with them um because i recognize coalition building as an important piece of organizing and i recognize education as something that is not required for every for everyone to do but it's something that i think is necessary if we want to imagine a different world. So I've organized with them before and, and, and have had to like deal with that. But then I'm also organized with, um, with folks who um, are queer and, and are, are black and whatnot, but are also not making space for fat people and like not making, not really thinking about fatness and disabilities and how um, that works in organizing spaces. Um, and then I will go to conferences run by white people who, you know, are making space for fat folks and and and, dis- and disabled folks, but are not really thinking about how that works in tandem with blackness and anti-blackness. So it's like <laughs> it's like I'm I'm always in some places, or like I'll I'll go to spaces that are like um, specifically for trans folks, but um, don't really include people like me who are non-binary because they're only focused on binary trans folks. Um, so it, like I, I'm always like in spaces where I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to go in here and at least one thing of my identity is going to be erased and I'm just going to take it. <laughs> so how do you navigate those spaces? Do you then, do you feel that you change or like turn down any parts of you in those spaces? Never. No, never. Amazing. Nope. Um, I I refuse like and um and a lot of times because I'm so like outspoken um and sometimes like that can of course get you in trouble but um I just like <laughs> I say what I feel a lot of most of the times like you know like this is actually not going to work for me and I'm going to need for you all to like build in a different policy or like do some more political education or whatever it is that you're going to need to do to like make sure that you're making space for, um, for folks who you're actively erasing from the conversation and from this space. Um, and like a, a lot of us people who I'm surrounded by, we have this reputation of, of being the, the, the loud mouth radicals, um, <laughs> who can't go to a space without mentioning something being wrong with it. And, you know, like, over the years, I've grown very fond of that reputation because you good. You should know that I'm going to show up and tell you that something that your organization is doing is wrong, and that you need to fix it. Because ultimately, I think like that is what we should be wanting to do. Right? It's like wanting to make sure that we're catering as best as we can to to um, all marginalized folks, and especially those who exist further on the margins. Um, and people who are multiply marginalized, and if you're not really focused on on us, then like, why are you even doing any of this work at all? Um, so, yeah, I um, I absolutely am like 
in fact, in those spaces, I make sure I turn up the volume, like on, on whatever identity I feel is being erased. Like if, if I'm in a, a space where they're like actively erasing folks and I might like wear something where it's very, it's much more visi visible that like I am a bad person and that you're not going to erase from the conversation. Or if I'm in a space like where they're not really like um, considering queer folks and I'm actively making sure that you know that I'm a queer person and like, I'm, and I'm talking about queerness and I'm talking about um, like things that would, would only be understood really if you're in like queer or trans spaces um, and like being loud about it, like just, just making sure that people are fully aware of, of my existence and that I'm in the room um, and why it is they should be focused on on centering folks like like me and like that, and, and more specifically, folks who don't have the courage or or the access or don't feel safe enough to speak up, right? Like, I um, I think part of my work over the years has been sometimes um, at the expense of myself, like compromising or sacrificing my safety and 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 my um, my ability to to be unseen um for the sake of others and i think that you know like that's what organizing is it means making those sacrifices and if you're not willing to make certain sacrifices then you shouldn't be an organizer um and so you know like i will take the dehumanization and the lack of safety um with that comes with hyper visibility if it means that there are people like me who will be able to get better care in the long run do you think that moving as often as you did has given you some kind of um, uh, comfortableness with, um, you know, being in new spaces all the time? I'm trying mm. to imagine, you know, having, if you live in the same place the first, whatever, 18 years of your life, mm -hmm. must, there must be something that's kind of... You must be like suddenly being suddenly being taught that, you know, you have to fit in here. You have to fit into this place. But mm -hmm. if you keep starting at f from the beginning in new places, do do you think there was something in that that has given you something useful mm. for this situation? Um, I think so. I think that. So I'm an ambivert. Um, so I like have the the qualities of like introverts and extroverts, but I also have social anxiety. Mm. Um, and so like, before I enter into a new space, I'm like freaking out, like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I don't know, like whatever, whatever, whatever. But because of my, like my background in organized or in moving, and then just because of like my training in organizing, the second I walk into the space, I'm, talking to people like I've known them forever. Um, and I think that helps a lot. I think organizing and more specifically, like having to facilitate conversations and, and meetings and having to, um, to build a coalition with different folks and organizations has really taught me um, how exactly to show up for, um, or yeah, to show up in a, in a, in a room and, be as present as possible um, and be as approachable as possible. So I think that, I definitely think that organizing in, in that way has, or that moving um, around a lot in that way has helped a lot because, you know, wherever I was, I, I had to build new community um, with folks and, and would have to um, build new relationships with, with people, with neighbors or with other kids, um, with having to catch a different bus or what, whatever it was, right? Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that that played a major role in how I interact with, with organizer spaces now. So a question that I always ask on this mm -hmm. podcast is this question. What question would you most want for me to ask you? Hmm. You know, maybe you had an idea of what we you thought we would be talking about so maybe you were mm -hmm. like oh that thing i didn't get to say or 
you know, maybe you're just tired of talking about all the trauma and all that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing that you think people should know. Um, I feel like the only thing I would have like said really is like something I've already mentioned about like my love for music. So I don't know. I don't think like, um, Hmm. I don't know. Okay, so I'll ask you about that then. Do you have a uh do you ever fantasize about you know this rock pop dream of being on stage? And do you have a specific fantasy that you always go to? I mean this is very much me projecting. <laughs> so I'm thinking you have a specific <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> um no, so kind well kind of so i okay so back when i was like christian identified i like really i had like a lot of really popular um gospel artists who i just knew i wanted to perform with i still wouldn't mind performing with them just because i think they're amazing artists but um now i'm like i have a i have like a love for so many different types of of music um so like i just always imagine a set where like i get to be on stage where i'm able to perform with folks like fantasia along with people like beyonce along with people like um her or ingyre um along with like music soul child and and then like um Brick Liam, just like across different like genres, um, even like some of my favorite country artists like <laughs> Carrie Underwood and Rascal Flatts and Kelly Clarkson. Uh, I don't know, like I have, <laughs> I'm like a big fan of like so many different types of um, things, and like being on stage with Cardi B um, and E. Um, yeah, so I have like. It's like like a a Coachella of sorts, but without the colonialism <laughs> of taking over spaces that are indigenous. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, like just like bringing all these different some of my favorite genres and like favorite artists in each genre together, and like sharing the stage with them for a night or something. <laughs> That's a lot cooler than my uh, meatloaf duet <laughs> dream. What is that? I want to hear about that now. This is my my mom loved meatloaf, and she always played. Well, my mom loved big voices, so that's always mm. been my thing. And it doesn't matter what the genre is, if it's gospel or rock or, mm -hmm. I mean, heavy metal or musical theater. If it had, like, if it was a big voice, and meatloaf has a big voice, right? So I think that was just since I was a child, it was just this <laughs> weird fantasy of being one of these often nameless women. <laughs> and it's, I always find a way to justify it in my head why it would be me in that situation. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot sing. And also, he's, what, semi-responsible for Trump? So I don't, I'm not really sure he's one of the good guys. <laughs> no, really, though. Um, but also, like... Um, your mom and I could be good friends, I think, because that is me. Like, if I don't, I don't care about the genre. If there is like, if it's a big voice, or even if it's not like a big voice, but it's a a very clearly skilled voice, like you can you can tell which voices are are skilled and and which artists have like studied their craft. Mm. I am going to love it regardless. So. Mm. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've been yeah. amazed with that. Musical theater. I just yes. big voices. And like Cynthia Erivo, I saw her in, uh, yes. in Color She's Purple so on Broadway. And I was like... Her and Amber Riley are, I think, two of my favorite like musical theater vocalists. Oh, my god, They're amazing. It's amazing. Oh, I'm so happy I know <laughs> this about you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is literally like... When I'm not thinking about everything else i'm literally sitting with music and probably on youtube watching different performances of these artists <laughs> oh, that's the, my life oh the um the 
the color after one of the the color purple performances on Broadway when they sang it was around the time when Prince died. Purple Rain. Yeah, they do Purple Rain. Have yes, oh I have. It's so good. The um God. with um um Jennifer Hudson. Yes, Jennifer Hudson. Yes, Cynthia and Rebo. um Cynthia Rebo, and there was um Danielle Brooks. Yes, who I really love. I didn't know she could sing, and I was like, "Wow, this is actually mm-hmm. really impressive." Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, that was a good point. It's a secret thing, and people are like, "Oh, surprise. right." I'm like, "What? How did you not tell?" <laughs> right? You? Like, I'm like, "How do you go from orange to new black to like yeah. color purple?" <laughs> I, love so I love it. I want to. Um, I'm going to ask you the last question. Okay. And we'll do the extra question for the special content for the Patreon people. Okay. So the last question is this: So, you're in the. Your pronouns are they? Any pronouns. Okay, cool. Um, you're in the delivery room, okay? And you have mm-hmm. just been born. Okay. And you now are holding yourself as a baby. Right. It's a teeny tiny little Sean. It's crying and crying and crying. As <sighs> you know, inside of the womb, it was nice and comfortable and warm and mm-hmm. down. And now there's lights and sounds everywhere. <sighs> so they're terrified, right? They're like, is this life? Is this what life's going to be? So it's just going to be lights and sounds <laughs> and looking at you like, what the fuck? <sighs> and you know that a lot of life will be lights and sounds, but it won't be lights yeah. and sounds. It'll be other tiring, terrifyingly sad things. Yes. And also good things sometimes. So you can say something to yourself. Now, you can't change the future. So it doesn't, you can't give advice because they'll forget immediately. <laughs> but they're wondering what life's going to be like. So what would you say to teeny tiny baby you? <sighs> I think I would say that you will one day be better than you are and then you'll become better, even better than that. And then I would say these words that Fantasia said in a cipher on um, Soul Train Awards where she said that she's tiptoeing through the traps that they set for her. <laughs> I love that a lot. And I would tell baby me to tiptoe through the traps that they set for you. <laughs> Of course, they won't remember that, but it would be really iconic if I could tell myself that as a baby. <laughs> Amazing. I think that would be it. Do you still need to be told some of that? Always. In fact, it is in my Twitter bio. Both of those things. Um, the beginning of my bio says, I am better than I was. I will be better than I am. And then it says, tiptoe into the traps that they set for me. Because <laughs> that's my reality. Where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on Twitter at underscore I am Royal, um, I-A-M-R-O-Y-A-L. And then on Facebook and Instagram, both at The Godly Sean. So D-A-G-O-D-L-Y-S-H-A-U-N. Um, and then, of course, also through my website, um, which is DeshaunHarrison.com. So D-A-S-H-A-U-N-H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N.com. Amazing. Oh, and my Patreon, um, <laughs> which is just Deshaun L. Harrison. So D-A apostrophe, capital S, H-A-U-N, the letter L, Harrison. Amazing. What do you do on Patreon? Is it just all um, some work or do people get treats? So sometimes they do get treats. Um, and so it depends on the tier. Like if you're a specific tier, I let you pretty much ask me for anything. But um, a lot of it is I create... Um, different essays specifically for um, my patrons and um, also like doing like live video chats. Um, And, but mostly it's just for folks who like are looking to support me materially, um, the work that I'm already doing, if they just want to like be like, Hey, here's an extra dollar a month because I just appreciate that you're doing this work. And and I know that it's difficult. Then that's for yeah, them too. Exactly, because you do so. Much, I've learned so much from your your stuff, and you know, you. I think people because we know that Twitter and Instagram and stuff is free, right? Kind of forget that some of these things are hard work and hard, hard work. <laughs> our education a bit sometimes. 
no literally it's very tough especially um you know like when you're out here facing barriers that keep you from getting jobs so um so no i definitely appreciate folks who just are like no i like you i want to support you <laughs> well thank you so much for doing this thank you no thank you for listening please go and show Deshaun a lot of love Go to their Patreon, go to their Twitter, their Instagram, and just thank them for doing the podcast and support their work because they are essential. They're essential for, uh, an essential following. So do make sure that they're all over your social media feed. Now, if you want to support this podcast, which I very much hope you do, if you already are, thank you. If you want to, if you're considering it, if you can help in any way financially, you can give one-off donations on madeofhumanpodcast.com or on patreon.com forward slash mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. You can also find the special little snippets on Patreon where I, after each recording, I chat with the guest for somewhere between 5 and 20 and 30 minutes where I ask them, some very interesting questions such as what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? What's an unpopular opinion of yours? Do you have a recommendation? Do you have a life hack? Stuff like that. It's often very, very interesting and very, very funny as well. You can get the extra snippets if you sign up for the Patreon. It's always incredibly helpful. So do go and do that. If you can't afford it, I get it. Give it a five-star rating on iTunes, tweet about it, Instagram about it, Facebook about it. Make sure that people find the podcast. And um, yeah, if you do, however, become a patron and you then become a friend of the podcast, meaning if you give more than $5 or more per episode, you will get your name read out loud by me right now. So a huge thank you goes to... Andrea Papillon, Andy Walker, Ashley Salmon, Awesome Blue Sky, Barry Norton, Caitlin, Cat Posse, Claire McCowlin, Connor O'Donovan, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Appleton, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy Osaurus, Aurora Terra Tops, Fiona Richardson, George Pearson, Hannah Keel, Harry Van Dyke, Harry and Lily French, Harry Minnett, Helena Thomas, Ida Søger Larsen, Inger Ellingsen, James Brand, Janie Mahoney, Josie, Kathy Draxelbauer, Katie Hatfield, Katrine Engelsen, KT, Kim Williams, Kristen Davidson, Queen T, Maury Fraser, Mansour Mir, Marbles Loss, Megan Roberts, Moriah Fraser, Olivia Robson, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Finne, Rachel Hemsley, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, The Three Rachels, Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Capper, Rosie Evans, Russell Hughes, Sarah Ferrer, Icasith, Sarah Allett, and Sarah Plumer, The Three Sarahs, Saskia Papadakis, Sheena Machette Coe, Cecil Fjeldsund, and Susie Tyler. We still have a, uh, what do you call it? A tie. We have a tie between the Sarahs and the Rachels. So do get in on that. You can still be in the running for winning. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. I uh, hope to speak to you soon. Maybe next week. Is that a deal? I want to say thank you to you, thank you to Deshaun Harrison, thank you to Dave Pickering for producing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo. I will speak to you soon. Bye! Low-pie.